You're listening to Well, I Laughed, part two of Influential Secrets, Shaken, Not Stirred. Today I made instant coffee at 3 p.m. Uh, no, what period was it? 1 p.m. And that was good and actually really important. And also my right eye's muscles started to spasm. So that, yeah, and I was like, hey class, hey look, see what happens? He's, this, this is called PM coffee. And it just like, it just, you know, sh- and the kid was like, that's weird. <laughs> oh, wow. You scare me sometimes. <laughs> right? There was a moment of like my second or third, second year teaching where I'm teaching like a lesson and I start to smell toast. And that's strange because I'm in a classroom nowhere near the cafeteria. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm having a stroke right now. And I don't think you're supposed to be aware of it this early. (laughs) And I turn around and I go, this is probably just like a really weird question to ask everyone. But does anyone have toast right now? And in the corner, a kid goes, (laughs) you caught us. And I go, what? <laughs> and I walk over and they have in the corner of my room where an outlet is a plugged toaster? in a toaster and put a couple of jams near it too. They didn't think you would smell. I don't know, but they were sophomores, so I don't know if they so, thought much. <laughs> the answer is no. Out of sight, out of mind, fresh toast in the morning. The immediate I so the immediate relief that I wasn't dying of cancer. Sorry. Of a stroke. Are, is that Freudian like- slip there. <laughs> The immediate relief that I wasn't having a stroke was then like, okay, but also if something were to burn down a school, I believe a toaster would do it. (laughs) Is that like a symptom of a stroke? You like can smell toast? Yes. I might die from a stroke. (laughs) I smell toast all the time. (laughs) I didn't know that that was, like I knew about the like left arm tingling thing for a heart attack. I guess probably that's because my family has heart issues. It's amazing to watch Maya's face today, <laughs> right now. <laughs> I might die. <laughs> um, actually, I, we have a listener story uh, submitted to us. It's brief, but it fits kind of perfectly into what we're talking about. I love watching Maya kind of unpack um, oh, just no. what she experienced as a child. We have a listener story, and I haven't even told Maya oh. about this yet because I want to see your reaction. I even got their permission as I was messaging. I was like, I, before before we go any further, can I say this? And so this comes from our friend Darcy, okay. who submitted this story. Hi there. One of the lost children of Casa Bonita here. <laughs> Since we are in the spookiest of seasons, I thought I would share that I got separated from my family at Casa Bonita years ago in the month of October. Want to guess what they do during that specific (laughs) month to make the already festive theme even more that festive? That's right, a haunted house. I got lost in the caves of a haunted house as I was completely disoriented by the fog machines, strobe lights, and pre-recorded screams. Now that I'm thinking oh about God. it, the screams might have actually been real. <laughs> Mass figures would jump out of the pitch black tunnels terrorizing children. It's a gorilla they employ. <laughs> Terrorizing children. I had to use my honey-soaked hands to (laughs) feel my way out and use the sounds of the waterfall (laughs) to guide me back. Honestly, 
you were well prepared as a kid. This is a classic yeah. Colorado kid who's like, hold up three points of contact <laughs> and use the sound to help locate myself. Other senses. Exactly. <laughs> a Nebraska kid would have died. <laughs> I say that as a Nebraska kid. Um, found my way back to the table. At this point, my parents were still searching for me. So I sat unattended. I decided to soothe myself with basket after basket I'm of so sopapillas without any question from the staff. I raised the little flag and magically another basket would arrive. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Can we share this? <laughs> and they said, absolutely. I had apparently repressed it for years <laughs> and have always been adverse to Halloween related events. But now it kind of all makes sense. It does have a happy ending. I was reunited with my family and went home with a full belly and a new coping mechanism. Fried bread and sugar. <laughs> I love that. Darcy, thank you for sharing. Like that was Truly, that was wonderful. While you were saying that, I have a mem I I unlocked a memory <laughs> of also being in those caves and scared. And so I was like, maybe I was there during No, I think I was just scared in those caves. Just scared in those caves in general. You're like, where yeah. those they were my own screams, but there were screams. <laughs> I just I have a very distinct memory of touching the wall and like being like, that's not rock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's never rock, but no. that's not not the not rock that yeah. they haven't got yeah. to be. Yeah. That. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a phenomenal story. I thank you. And I love that we are getting this in October. Yeah. When this episode comes out, I think it'll be Christmas. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it'll be November. But get that Christmas list going. Yeah. Um, but we're still in October, which mm -hmm. I love. And that story inspired me to tell one more little story. Oh, okay. I have a hard time in haunted houses because mm -hmm. I love live theater and I'm so willing to suspend belief. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am the person you want at a comedy club. I'm the person you want at your improv show yeah. or, your, or your community theater performance of Fiddler on the Roof, okay? I was in Guys and Dolls myself. I am ready to buy into whatever little world we're building here. Yeah. And so <laughs> haunted houses are like my worst nightmare. <laughs> Years ago, uh, when I was like a sophomore, junior in college. Yeah. Older than I should have been. I went to the haunted house with my friends Lydia, <laughs> okay. Jacob, and a few other of my friends, yeah. too. And, you know, of course, the, like, the last thing is like a corn maze, and you go through, and you emerge from the corn maze, and you can see up the hill, and that's where your car's parked. And you're like, okay, we, we made, made it. it. Oh, no. And then, of course, masked chainsaw man mm -hmm. emerges, and I freak out so badly. I shove Jacob and Lydia both down so I can run <laughs> faster. And it's not only until, it's only when I'm at the top of the hill that like the rest of my brain catches up. And you're like, oh. Oh, oh, so that was not real, but the push was, <laughs> but the moment where push, step, that, that moment, that was all me, baby. <laughs> that was real. So uh, yeah, I get it, it's scary. It's a scary time of the year. I get it, I get it. I had a, I think the first haunted house that I went to is also like a kind of a haunted corn maze. Mm. Uh, there was like that section where the chainsaw guy uh, chases you. And I was in middle school back when those like chunky loose shoes were like skater shoes were okay. like really in. And so I'm running. It's the first haunted house that I've ever been to. And so I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> and uh, I think we had just come out of like a strobe light room where there's like nice. that medical procedure that's gone wrong. <laughs> 
Yikes. <laughs> I'm running from the chainsaw guy. And they have like all the rules, right? That like you can't touch the people. They can't touch you. Right. Like if you lose something, you also can't go back for it. Right. Uh, and so I'm running from chainsaw guy. Shoe falls off because I'm in a panic and my shoes were laced not well because as was the fashion and I was more scared of my mom learning that I had lost a shoe than I was of the chainsaw guy and I tell you that because I then peeked my head back through the curtain and said can I get that I'm sorry I do terrifying I need this though yeah and then he he went and grabbed it for me and like stuck his hand back through the like the fence or the thing and gave it to me and uh, yeah, I'll never go back to another one of those again. I don't blame you. I think it was Field of Screams. I think it's still open. Actually. That's cute. Yeah. I love that as a name. Field of, Field Field of, of Screams. Screams. Yeah. I, I very strong in this opinion mm-hmm. as a person who is still dating and thus pretending to like things I don't. I draw a line at horror movies. I'm not interested in seeing them, especially since the mm-hmm. pandemic. I don't need anything worse in front of my eyeballs. I'm already kind of concerned. It's already the apocalypse. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I have just taken to saying, I'm also kind of 30 now, like for the record. <laughs> I have taken to saying, hey, we're grown adults. How about we just agree to cuddle and watch a rom-com instead, okay? <laughs> I don't need to watch a horror movie to be like, To be like, oh, oh my I'm god, so protect scared. me. Like, hold me? Let's watch Julia Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, yeah, I've never once been able to watch horror movies, and I love that we're having this conversation now that this episode is going to release in After November. After Halloween. Yeah. Um, for us, dear listener, it is October 18th. It is. So, I was like, oh shit. 18th, yes. 18th. Um, so Halloween is yet to come. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I had a sleepover with some of my like mom's friends' kids. Okay. And so my mom, when she moved here, made a bunch of like other Japanese friends and they all married white guys for the most part. And so they all have half Japanese kids. Okay. And so they really wanted us to be friends. And we were, for the, for the most part, when sure. we were young. Um, it's hard to make kids be friends with kids. You I don't like... still talk to them, sure. but, like, we hung out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one time we had a sleepover at, her name was, um, oh, fuck, Nikia, I think. Um, but we all had a sleepover. Her parents, like, were... I don't know, maybe out, maybe her older brother was watching us or something like that. And we were like, let's watch a horror movie. And I did it to be cool because the other, uh, Nikki was younger than me by a couple years, but the girl that was my age, Anna, was my age. And we were always kind of pitted against each other a little bit. She went to Vanderbilt to become a doctor. So someone won. And I don't think it was me. Okay, don't bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But. Or maybe, I don't remember. She went to Vanderbilt. Anyway, um, so I was trying to impress Anna. And so we turned on the Poltergeist, the original Poltergeist. How old is the original Poltergeist? I think it was made in the 60s or something like that. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. It was still somehow terrifying, even (laughs) though I knew the, like, you can see, like, the monster at the end, you can, like, almost see the strings pulling it. Right. And it's, like, very clearly, like, the special effects were not great, but it was so fucking terrifying. Uh, at the end, we were all like, okay, let's go to bed. And, like, kind of tiptoed <laughs> up the stairs. Like, the rest of the house is dark. And uh, Anna goes off to, like, change or whatever. And me and Nikki, like, go into the room. And Anna jumps out of the closet. Oh, no. Punch. Punch. <laughs> punch. Punch. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever been more scared in my life. <laughs> it was unwell. My good friend Riley, love her to death. Uh, we went to college together so easily 
easily frightened. She, we lived in the same apartment complex, but not the same building our mm-hmm. sophomore year. And so she left my apartment. And then I went to go stand on the balcony to be like, have a great night. Like, uh, as she yeah, like exited away. and, and rounded the, the building, I went, have a great night, collapsed, collapsed <laughs> into a fetal position. And it was so <gasps> funny to me at the time. I mean, I'm sorry that you were terrified. And <gasps> I also understand now, having listened to people, yeah. why you're terrified to walk home yes. alone at night. Yeah. For the time I was like, hey, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know who loves the Jamie Lee Curtis movie Halloween? Um, I don't know. My mom. My mom will almost stop what she's doing, which yeah. is rare for her, to watch the Halloween Your movie. Your mom seems like she would love Jamie Lee <laughs> Oh, yeah. Are now that kidding? I put those pieces together. I don't yeah. think it was an accident. I, like, still have Freaky Friday memorized in my brain. I just love Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> but here's the thing. Mom's also sensible. I don't think she ever once bought Activia. <laughs> well, she did win. Yes, I she guess. did. Um, but no, to the point where, like, my mom loves those, like, cheesy horror movies. They'd be on all the time mm-hmm. uh, when we were growing up as kids. Like, during the day when she was cleaning and stuff. Watching TV at night, that's for people who... Um, aren't busy, oh, right? yeah, but a little yeah. background noise during yeah, the day, yeah. that's appropriate. Mm, yes. Um, and so it was always Halloween movies. That's so cute. It was really All cute. Right. How was your week, Grant? Um, I haven't spent money, I haven't spent money in three days, so it's been like really hard. <laughs> I'm going to get McDonald's on the way home tonight. <gasps> that sounds really good. Yeah, well, after my snack of spicy noodles that I thought was going to be a meal. meal of spicy noodles, I, so I get paid once a month, which is, <laughs> sucks. yeah, it does. Yeah. It means you have an incredible first week, a second week of returning to reality, and then two weeks of living that hard reality. <laughs> and so Sunday it was like, Oh. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. 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 We'll be fine. We'll, we're always fine. But you gotta stop. <laughs> and I have. I listen to my own advice sometimes. I just need a little treat. I, I just need a silly little treat. Yeah, you do. Thank I you. I support it. I set up alerts on my credit card. <laughs> Just to like give me like a an update every couple days. Okay. I don't honestly know how I did it because it's on my Chase Sapphire, but not on my Amazon credit card. Oh. But every once in a while, I'll be like, "Your balance is," uh. and then I have to be like, "Oh," and that's what convinces me to not spend. I need the constant reminder. I am sorry if there are children in the car with you as you say this. As I say this next part, maybe uh, skip it forward thirty seconds and I'll be done. Checking your bank account is a lot like getting tested for STIs. <laughs> You're afraid about what it's going to tell you. But you but know it's what so the answer important. No, not oh. always. I mean, usually. Yeah. Yes. But uh, <laughs> you're afraid of what it's going to tell you. But knowing is so much better than not knowing. True. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. But you do have to make that choice to get checked. Um, yeah. And that's on funding your local Planned Parenthood. Brought to you by Will I Laugh. We're not political. <laughs> we have no political affiliation. We don't like to be political because it doesn't really impact your social life. <laughs> Maybe we're going to cut this next part that I'm sarcastic. about to say. I was sarcastic. No, I did. And well done, <laughs> right, by the thank way. You. Um, there are moments in the morning where after I've taken my prep and now I've had the first couple sips of my coffee, not a single solid food in my body, but mm. just prep and Nice coffee kind of wrestling yeah. it for each other that I was like <laughs> living the dream <laughs> living the, the dream, dream. <laughs> so that's how I've been uh, I have been 
modest, which is really tough for me. Yeah, you don't handle that well. I don't. <laughs> I just want to buy fun little things all the time, and I think I have great taste. That's the issue, too. I think I know exactly what to buy. <laughs> <laughs> On our Patreon Discord, dear listener, I, I did like a little poll. I was like asking our patrons... They were they already were talking about like what their favorite episode is or what episode they send people when they're mm-hmm. introducing them to the podcast, introducing them to the podcast. And I kind of asked, I was like, what do you guys think our most listened to episode is? And they had their answers. And when I finally uh, told them what the answer was, I said, like, and granted, these mm. ones don't have haven't had the time to like catch up. <laughs> and Grant's first response was not anything that added value to the conversation. I think actually, it added value. Actually, the conversation took a sharp left turn after this, and we stopped talking about episodes altogether. Because Grant's response was, whenever I see Granted, I get worried for a second that they're talking worried, to me. excited, nervous. It was typed. You could... Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh, oh, okay. I hate it here. I hate it here. There's meet so few Grants that when you see it, you're like, ooh. You know what that does for me is when people are talking and they say my and then they pause and say uh and it happens a lot yeah i believe it It happens all the time because i'm like it happens enough that i feel like you should be more sympathetic towards me no (laughs) (laughs) because i don't when someone types my uh my space uh i don't then go who me okay well grant is literally like 80 percent of the word there's no space between Grant and Id. I think we all know I can ignore what I choose to ignore. <laughs> yeah, that's really fair. <laughs> I did a little fun little finger yeah, thing. Yeah, Grant there. will also make any conversation about him. <laughs> he was like, they haven't talked about me in a while. Let's bring it back. <laughs> so, Maya, how have you been? How's your week been? <laughs> Stressed. How oh, good? Um, <laughs> I was on site this week. Today was the last day supervising an installation of a new UV sterilizer unit. That's exciting. At a water plant. <laughs> so uh, our, like our water is going to have just like a nice little artificial tan now? Or? Yeah. I'm not proud of it, but I'm not ashamed of it. I want you to know. <laughs> that joke's solidly that in the middle. stupid. My, um, uh... <laughs> oh, flip that hat off your head. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't. I haven't shaved. Before I left, I was like, oh, we're going to need a hat tonight. I feel like you put more thought into your appearance on the podcast than I do. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but here's wow. the second half of it. Granted. Fucking <laughs> 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 like asshole. Like two sips in, and I'm yeah. like, I'm hilarious. Uh, <laughs> It's because you're just like naturally pretty, and then we have a bright light shining on me, and that has never been my right <laughs> angle. So I need to put a little thought before we I just get leave. So the much, house. so many compliments on your skin. Thank you. It's a lot of work. So I thank know you. my skin is okay, but I was blessed with genetics, so <laughs> I don't need the validation. But um, I'm a white man who goes in the sun. Do you know how hard this is? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair Anyways, enough. we were talking about your week. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> I had to deal with some um, some really fun clients, and I'm gonna keep the client ambiguous mm. um, because, well, <laughs> I don't want to get fired. Um, Hear that? Yeah. Hear that. But uh, this guy, he's basically the design manager, who I hadn't heard from ever. Like his name popped up on my screen when he emailed me, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this?" And this was day two of the install, so day one was all like. Um, making all the stuff that we were going to install and like making sure that everything was prepped because the the line that we're installing on was going to be shut down only for the next day and mm. we needed to get that all the installation done all in that day. One day. Yeah, and so 
Um, we pre we prefabbed is what it's called pre prefabrication on Monday. Tuesday, everyone shows up at six a.m. Which, by the way, that's Wait, too shows early. Shows up at six a.m. Yeah. That is rough. Okay, no, that's rough. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, that, that's been my week. Okay. <laughs> was, well, I was watching the Huskies on Monday, and so I had to wake up at five a.m. to Oof. walk them, and we were actually meeting at seven on Monday, which right. I'm glad for. <laughs> but holy shit, I am not used to waking up this early ever. But um. Yeah, so Tuesday rolls around, it's installation day. I'm walking into the plant, I get this email from this guy who basically says to like, not do what we're about to do, hmm. even though he's on the email chain where I ask for approval <laughs> and get approval and also mention that I've gotten approval <laughs> from the entire plant, like higher ups to do this. And he's basically like, don't. And then he, he takes a screenshot of the design drawing and draws his own design kind of over it and tells us to take something out. And then I'm like, I respond and I'm like, okay, to be fair, I got all the approvals. So you're now telling me not to do this. It's been prefabbed. The fact that you took a screenshot of the design document means that you also saw the picture that was directly next to it in mm. my report of the prefabbed thing. <laughs> So what the fuck? This is a per my last email. I'm not going to do this. I, well, I was like, I panicked a little bit because I was like, installation is starting huh, now. <laughs> and uh, so I like added, I love Outlook when you can at people because it just it just feels petty. Um, but I added like the, the guy who hired my firm and then the plant manager and was like, thoughts? Because if we need to change this, we need to change it like five hours ago right? because this needs to be installed like now. And also this is going to take extra time and like we need to know. And it, this is like changing the design at this point is going to add a lot of hours. Feels reckless. Also. Exactly. Yeah. And so basically, basically the guy who hired us, the higher up is the guy that emailed me director of design. The guy who hired us is director of like installation kind of or like implementation he's like a pro he's like more a project manager which okay. means he's more like on feet on the ground like watching it happen which means they're counterparts but technically this other guy's job ends before i even set foot in the plant okay and the, the guy who hired us calls me and is like don't fucking listen to him I'm mad that he even emailed you. <laughs> and I was like, sweet. Amazing. Let's go, boys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I do imagine it's like you and then like a bunch of like burly installation men. That's literally what it's it is. It's this podcast dynamic, but we all have vests. On. Yeah. Like high vis vests, you and three of your friends that look like you all have southern accents. <laughs> Ooh, I can do some southern draw. They were all very kind. Uh, they always are. Oh, they're so nice. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the thing that the guy was mad about was the floor support. We were, like, going to be drilling into the floor to, like, support this thing. Mm. Uh, and he didn't want that. And so he was basically, like, we talked on the phone. We aligned, which I fucking hate that word because it doesn't mean actually anything. It just means we talked and we're aware of what's <laughs> happening. We're agreeing as to what's happening. Yeah, we we're not, aligned. Yeah. Uh, and and um, he was, like, just send update pictures. And I was, like, because we need to make sure that it, like, looks nice right. or whatever. And I was, like, okay fine <laughs> like lunch rolls around the installation is finished the floor support however is not finished because it involves like grouting and epoxy and sure. so it's going to take like a lot of time for it to be done and um he should know this right he emails he's like you haven't sent any pictures <laughs> i hadn't seen that email because i was on lunch sure and then he calls me and i'm like i can i yeah i 
this is me standing in solidarity with you. I'm going to say that mm-hmm. right now. It, it's you're at the point in your career where you know better. Yeah. But people are still trying to manage you. Yeah. And I have very recently gotten to my career point where I know enough and there's enough other fires happening <laughs> that I am largely left alone. <laughs> which means so my nice. well, that means my final Charizard evolution is the uh, I'm old and doing it wrong and no one's willing to tell me anymore. <laughs> That's, I am speed running this career is I what I'm trying I'm to say. I think I'm on the other side of that where I'm just coming into being alone and being mm. okay with it. Uh, because my boss was like, yeah, so you're going to kind of manage that. And I was like, what, what do you, you're going to be with me though, right? And he was like, no. And I was like, you're going to leave me alone? <laughs> but yeah, he calls me and he's like, I asked for some pictures and you haven't sent them. But I've like looked after I ended this call. Sure. He had emailed me five minutes ago. Well, yeah, look at it now. If Chase Sapphire credit card can get a phone notification, why can't I? I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and then I, I didn't really lose my cool. I think I kept it relatively professional, but I was like, I, I, like I, respectfully, I don't know who you are. Mm, and mm. Um, if I ever do a project like this again, I will make sure that you know. But um, we will have this, and I gotta be real vague about this yeah. now. But we will have people occasionally, as in with any institution, yeah, not unique to where I work. Uh, people will show up who you find out are like kind of your boss, who you have never met before, and whose job is so ambiguous, I couldn't give you three sentences on it. I we had we talked about that in the Discord today. Did we? Oh, okay. I was bored this was a morning. Really busy yeah. morning, so I didn't get a chance to look yeah. at it. Well, today for me was commissioning and training, so I didn't. It wasn't big on me. Like, right. I wasn't didn't have to manage anybody really, but um. We, I was on the Discord kind of chatting with people, and I was like, who else has had bad <laughs> employer experiences? You should read it because... It'll be reassuring. It's hilarious. Okay. The second story that gets... Um, one of our patrons told a story about when she was a nanny. Mm. Absolutely unhinged. But the first story, this one of our patrons was like, yeah, there's a new kind of manager, and she's like, I don't even know what her job is, but she's stepping on my toes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that might be her job, a toe-to-stepper. I hate it. Uh, yeah. I was at a work meeting once and found out that we at like our central office level had a director of blank mm. and we had been doing blank for years <laughs> and I had never gotten an email from the mm. director of a blank about blank again keeping everything really anonymous yeah, yeah. right now um, and and so then they came to one of our meetings and I'm not quite entirely sure if the director knows what they're directing. <laughs> but that's fine. As long as we can keep this minute to the exact amount of time we time stamped it for, I'm out of here. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Um, so yeah, friends, we're there with you. And we're so close to the holidays where no one has to work or anything. Right now is the yeah. work time of the work year. Is September, October, first part of November. Mm-hmm. We're getting so close to, Once hey, we let's circle it. Yes. Yeah, everyone's and you can like, circle back to it in the new year, 100%. Circle back, yeah. The last part of the story is this guy, I finally sent this guy pictures, and he basically told us um, that it wasn't finished yet. He was like, well, you need to do this, 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 and this to make it look like the, f- the floor supports that already exist. And we were like, you know it's not done yet, right? <laughs> because you asked for status update pictures, and I told you on the phone that it wasn't done and then you <laughs> called our contractor's boss and he told you it wasn't done yet and then you emailed me <laughs> it's like 
buddy. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta chill, man. And then I the, am sorry if anyone is listening to us today on your way into work. That's tough. That's, that's this is a tough hard. conversation yeah. for you to hear. Yeah. The guy who hired us eventually called me at the end of the installation day and was like, "Yeah, me and so and so had a conversation about the difference between design and." Implementation. Are they aligned now? Uh, fucking, I don't know. <laughs> they might be on the same page. Different parts of the Maybe page. Maybe they are conniving with each other. Conniving? Yeah, that's a fun word. What does that mean? Oh, to connive? Okay, sorry, the look that Maya gave me. Uh, to, <laughs> to, like, plot with each other. Oh, oh they're so conniving means they have oh, evil... Oh, yeah. Oh, God, it's tickling apart. My brain is not working anymore. It's okay. I, listen, my... For those of you who were like, well, Grant was a huge dick there. Mm -mm. That was me being like, I think I've said that word to you before. What do you mean you do? Do you smell toast? Like, what do you mean you don't know what conniving means? And then you went real blank in the face. And I was like, "Mm, I had a 12 hour day yesterday. The dictionary defines conniving as. No, and it's totally fine to be telling you. There's one where I was like, I'm actively trying not to patronize you right now, but you are giving me not the go ahead. So. My face doesn't hide my emotions well. Um, and Grant gets the brunt end of that. But no, it's, but it's so fun too. Much like one of my exes, I always know when I've done something wrong. <laughs> I'm not good at keeping it inside unless it's professionally required of me. I once tried to watch, sorry, I once tried to make someone watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. which I think is an American classic. Yeah. They did not. Oh no. And their face was so loud, I had to stop watching it because it was ruining the experience for Free. me. <laughs> I feel like it's an American classic for queer culture, to be fair. I'm sorry. Are there straight American classics? Other than like what? Bruce Wayne or whatever his name? John Wayne. There it is. John Wayne. Uh, Midnight in Paris. Starring oh, Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. That's a solid one. Yeah. Okay. Who also like Gertrude Stein and all the characters he meets. Gay. Gay. But like it's, the, claim tw- that. it's the 20s. <laughs> and therefore isn't, I don't know, real. The 20s, this podcast's people favorite are, yeah. decade. <laughs> people are just very offended all the time yeah, by trans yes. people. So, um, Let's actually get into a little bit of history. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, influential secrets mm, in history. Part two. Part two of influential secrets. Untitled Grant Thomas Project. <laughs> kind of was got so wrapped up in making sure I got enough information. No, that's, that's how um, I always am. Okay, cool. We'll record the title sequence that you're listening to. We'll record that at the end of this. We, we'll figure it out together. Girl, we always record it at the end. I know, but I'm letting them know, know our podcast business. Okay. And then and sometimes I, it takes 20 minutes while we're like... I'm like... Mm, mm, and mm. then Casey comes down and says one thing and we're like, that's it! That's it. That's <laughs> it. I'm damp and I have to pee. That's it, Maya. All right. <laughs> and then like, as I close the door, I hear, you're listening to... Well, <laughs> okay, so um, we are actually not in the 1920s this time. A huge break from tradition and um, potentially never going to do it again. Uh, also, <laughs> right now I'm going to tell you I'm not about to cover a famous misunderstood female author, who I realized <laughs> I kind of gotten into a rut, a type, as we clarified earlier. <gasps> kind of got into a little bit of a type, and we got to take a step back from that Did now. they write a book, though? Okay, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> Still an author territory. I'm going to hit you with some names. Uh, okay. Does the name Sir William Stevenson mean anything to you? I don't know, but I also didn't recognize the word conniving about <laughs> five minutes ago. I'm really so. excited for this. What about Ian Fleming? That sounds more familiar. Okay. What about um, 
Roald Dahl. Mm-mm. That's fun for me. Okay. okay. Are these scientists? We'll find out, won't we? We'll find out. Fleming sounds like a scientist, but I could I thought be I wrong. had copied and pasted that down to the bottom. Do I still have everything? I do. I just, I, it's now there twice. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so today's sources um, are the corresponding Wikipedia's pages for the people I just mentioned, as well as several exper- excerpts from biography.com and a couple more articles from the Daily Mail. Maya. Yes. I am so excited to get this episode started. Okay. Okay. Let's do a little history pop quiz. Oh, God. I'm <laughs> so bad at history. Do you know when the U.S. officially entered World War II? <sighs> Pearl it Harbor. Was around... Very good. Yep. Oh. 1941. I was going to say 42, so I was close. December 7th, <laughs> 1941. December 7th, 1941, <laughs> Japan hit Pearl Harbor. <laughs> so America enters uh, World War II December 7th, 1941, making it a, kind of the last superpower to get involved in the war. Mm-hmm. The United Kingdom enters the war in 1939 when Germany evades, invades Poland, kind of officially kicking off the campaign in Europe. Right. My history degree, which we've covered as a curse, <laughs> requires me to say this. Um... There had been fighting happening in the what we would call the Asian theater or the Pacific theater yes. for years up to this point. Like kamikaze pilots and everything. So that'll happen eventually towards the end of the war. Mm-hmm. Right now what we're talking about is Japan, its occupation of Korea, Manchuria, and then it's like kind of slowly escalating war with China. China yeah. um, that starts in the early 30s, uh, these border conflicts already. But we're talking about World War II as it's like kind of understood from a Western standpoint. September 1st, 1939, Germany invades uh, Poland kind of kicking everything off. That means for the first like two and a half years, three years, the United Kingdom is kind of alone in the fight. As you covered in the finish line episode, very good. The Thank Soviet you. Union and the Nazis, not enemies to start. And Just the Nazis, yes, and the Nazis will knock France out like a year and a half into the mm-hmm. war, essentially, and install a fascist government into France. Nice. And so the United Kingdom has a vested interest in getting America into the war as quickly as possible and also making sure that America does not support the Nazis and Mm. continues to support the United Kingdom. So Great Britain comes up with an unofficial plan to win over the hearts and minds of the American people to support the British Empire in its war against the Nazis. And if it can't win over its hearts and minds, it will win over their libidos. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a really uncomfortable thing to hear? (laughs) That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Her Majesty's government sent over several people to sleep with influential Americans and make them support the British in this episode of Influential Secrets. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I just had an idea for an episode. (laughs) Good, because I could really use help naming the next theme. Okay, that's fine. Also, I just had a really good idea for our Patreon that I'll tell you. I mean, do you want to tell us right now? I mean, you can tell um, this part out. Have you seen the history of the world on YouTube? Um, is it like poorly animated? Yes. Yes. I I've seen clips sh- of it. I think we should watch that as <laughs> together. Yeah, together and just like record. <laughs> I hope you're prepared to experience what the students in my classroom do, which That's is about fine. every 45 seconds I go. Okay, but here's the thing that you need to kind of understand about like what just happened. And then I talk for three minutes after 45 seconds of video. And I go, okay, anyway, anyway, so anyway. 
That's kind of what I'm hoping. <laughs> my history teacher is the one, my AP World History teacher is the one that showed me the history of Japan That's initially. Um, okay. Influential secrets. The British Empire, uh, which at that time still has Canada as a commonwealth, sets up an organization called, I have it right here, the Special Operations Executive. And it's basically going to house all of their clandestine war efforts throughout the entire war. And what the British Empire fortunately kind of like has going for it is there's a bunch of people from all walks of life, nationalities and ethnicities, that thanks to colonization are also British citizens. Right. And so it's able to actually tap into this like very wide network of people to become spies and help get spies set up including Sir William Stevenson, who was just William Stevenson at the time, a successful Canadian businessman who's going to essentially set up MI6 in America for the British. Holy shit. Yes, Sir William Stevenson ran the Make America Love the United Kingdom campaign, and that organization was called the British Security Coordination. Does, this, was... does this story have anything to do with James Bond? Oh, it might, Maya. Okay, oh, it might very well have to do with James <laughs> Bond and loads of other stuff. Sweet. But we'll get there. <laughs> okay, so so William Stevenson sets up the British Security Coordination and sets about to both bring famous British people over to America and get America to fall in love with them, mm. to use their influence at like cocktail parties, dances, and dinners, to impress upon influential Americans that they should be supporting the British and opposing the Nazis, which today a, and the light of 2023 yeah feels super like, understandable um, would like to just kind of casually remind people that at the time the British legally laid claim to like a third of the world and there was a strong anti-colonial sentiment in America that was kind of like I hope it all falls apart for them and they were, and they were like no you don't right you're just you don't, right? <laughs> there's a war on the horizon what if we had someone have sex with you would that change your mind <laughs> America, it did. It did change your mind. God damn it. <laughs> You're the dumbest, scariest, <laughs> most powerful nation in the world. Why and do, I love us. And why I'm do we so, have this much power? I'm so glad to be back. Listen, Tyler came back after two years in Europe, and all I talk with him about now is how amazing America is. Like, I'm one of my uncles at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Aren't you glad here? Isn't it so convenient, just you, everything you gotta do? You pay for healthcare? <laughs> I was like, listen, it's all fun to walk in Europe, but when I get back to the airport in America, I'm like, my car, my beautiful car, I've missed you. No one talked to me. Casey Musgraves. Like, <laughs> well, done. He, he just recently moved into an apartment that is like 40 minutes walking from the nearest, like, downtown area yes. and we were at his housewarming party and he was like that's like that's like doable right like <laughs> like i wish i was closer but like i could do that and i was like i mean okay hey, yeah sure sure, sure. <laughs> Yes, 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 you could. You, 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 you have like three bikes in he, this apartment, he, but like, sure. Oh my God, it's actually the only seats he has in this <laughs> oh, apartment. Bikes. Uh, um, I don't know if this was supposed to be in confidence or not, but you know, who's me, you, and, the, yeah, whatever. and all the listeners. Um, he was like, <laughs> second day, he was like, is Boulder too far away from you guys? Yes. Did I make a mistake? Yes, but, <laughs> but, I, but I'm a good friend, and I know he won't hear this for months, yeah. but I was like, What? 
No. We'll try 40 minutes. Yeah, she's like, you got to give it a try first. Everything's in flux, right? You, you don't know. Yeah, no. It's fine. And like, you don't have to commute to work. That's, I mean, you do kind of, but not really. And that's great. You and can't put a price the, you on could that. Take the, you could take the bus exactly. down. I, I'm, and like, you know, the Bohawks and I both have guest rooms, you know? Like I you do can, too. Why do you always forget about that? I don't want to volunteer your guest room in the same way I feel like I'm allowed to with the Bohawks. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I also feel weird about volunteering our guest room because it is Casey. Office. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I have a code to the Bohawks front door. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it, there you go. They gave it to me, and I used it within 20 hours. Not 24, 20. Um, that makes sense. Europe, Europe could learn a thing or two from Americans. <laughs> and America could fall in love with Europe. Sir William Stevenson yeah. sets up the spy network, and he's hiring loads of people. And the British are kind of giving him some money, but he's kind of doing this because he like really hates Nazis and wants to support the allies in the war. So Sir William Stevenson ends up financing a whole bunch of it. And the British are like, cool, we're going to kind of give you like a semi-government office kind of name, kind of like make you official, but you just keep doing you babes, okay? And if we got to cut you out from the wind, great, no payroll. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. So in America, in New York, they set up at 30 Rockefeller. Yeah. And it becomes a British passport control is the name of it. And that is true. They are making passports there. They're just all fake for all of their spies. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, here's one of his spies. So Sir William Stevenson sets up all these networks. And it's kind of clear that they didn't want just like one organization running everything. A big time suck earlier this afternoon was me trying to figure out like what fell under what and what was under what's umbrella, things like right, that. Right. It was kind of like they were fine having a bunch of different like confederacies kind of all working on the same thing and maybe someone kind of knowing, but it's, it's I think in that way it's like if one group gets infiltrated, the then whole thing's you not compromised. Cut it, yeah. That is Total speculation. It was just impossible to follow. Oh, that's absolutely what's happening. Right. Like, for instance, I don't know where Agent Cynthia, uh, real name Amy Elizabeth Thorpe, I don't know exactly (laughs) what agency she fell under. See, uh, Amy Elizabeth Thorpe was a good time. Or at least the uh, fascist French ambassador thought that. So remember, Nazis take over France and they install a fascist government. So then all of their ambassadors and all the diplomats kind of get switched out too. Or they're like, yeah, I'm a fascist. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Code switching. So Amy Elizabeth Thorpe, a.k.a. Cynthia, just slept with every person in the D.C. office to gain secrets about the war from the fascist French. Jesus. And, and who was paying for that? Sir William uh, Stevenson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sir William Stevenson was super important to uh, the British spy effort. His own code name was Intrepid, which is super cool. But it's even more important because they wrote a little book about him later, James Bond. <gasps> The entire, like, so James Bond is pulled from a bunch of different yes. people, but specifically William Stevenson, Stevenson. is one of the core people that, uh, like, sponsored it. And he's, like, the the kind of head of all of these, Correct. like, At least of American Of the American side. And things okay. like that. Okay. Yes. Um, Sir William Stevenson plays a huge, important role. You'll notice, though, James Bond's name isn't uh, Sir William Stevenson. It's James yeah. Bond. James Bond, uh, Ian Fleming, the author of James Bond, uh, loved bird watching, and James Bond was an American, not orthopedic, but like the word for American bird watcher for bird watchers. Yeah. What is it? It starts with an O. Uh oh. 
Pause for station identification. <laughs> My first thought ornithology? was... Ornithology? Oh, or... Yes, I think... Is it ornithology? That sounds right. My first thought was the French word for uh, bird, and then I know that's not right. What so. is the French word for bird? Oiseau, which starts with an O. Mm. Ornithology is the scientific okay, cool. study of birds. James Bond was an American ornithologist, and James Fleming liked bird watching and was like, cool, uh, your full name. And, then, and put it on and this guy. This full, real person. And bada bing, bada boom. I got a novel. <laughs> My name's Grant Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't need to know anything. You just need to know people. And uh, I can just kind of layer it all together yeah, yeah, yeah. and then cheat on my wife. Uh, but, we'll just... <laughs> <laughs> but I'll have some great stories to tell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the tough thing is, if I was born 70 years ago, I'd be the most doting, loving, asexual, but loyal husband you women could ever have. You have know? you seen that ad? It was, I think it came out <laughs> while I was in high school, but it was like gay men that was like, oh, you don't want to approve right. gay sex? Fine. We'll marry your wives. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We'll share yeah. all the household chores, including our collection of doilies, yeah. and we'll make them happy. And we'll listen when they rant. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Friends, I want you guys to know right now, dear listener, this episode doesn't have like a big sad moment to it. It doesn't oh, have it doesn't have like a bigger life lesson to it. It's just like America was literally seduced in part into supporting the Allies in World War II. Yeah. And I think that's silly enough to warrant two hours. And so if you're like, this is the most unstructured, scatterbrained, how drunk are they conversation. We're not even drunk. No, like stone cold sober. We'll be driving home to McDonald's after this. And then now actually home. <laughs> Do you want to go together? We'll be right back. No, I'm just <laughs> Cut. We have to. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm in a groove right now. Anyways, so there's no like sad part. This is a silly episode. Maybe you hate it. I don't know. But, um... <laughs> Ian Fleming <laughs> says like, hey, Sir William Stevenson is like the person that helped inspire this. Uh, Ian Fleming worked with Sir William Stephen a little bit, Stevenson a little bit, because Ian Fleming was like a super important ideas guy for the British in World War II. Jesus. So the next page of this book, <laughs> talk about Ian Fleming in World War II. And what we're about to start getting into for all the people that I talk about is people who lived fascinating lives. Yeah. And then the war came around and then they were even cooler. And then afterwards they all died in the 70s. Oh! Oh! <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to meet someone that immediately was so cool that mm. you'd be like, I'm gonna write a book yeah. about you and you're gonna be the main character. And then I remembered that I met Grant and was like, we're gonna start a podcast. So <laughs> God, <laughs> shut the fuck up right now. I will leave, I won't, and I won't bring you to McDonald's. I just gave you, like, the one compliment that didn't come with a butt at the end of it. I know. Why do you think I'm saying now what I'm saying? <laughs> Fuck off, man. That's really kind of you. Thank you. I'll find a way to bring him down later, folks. Don't worry. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Ian Fleming here for a little bit. I love so him. So he gets brought on as basically, like, the personal secretary for an important person in the British government. Mm -hmm. I didn't really write down that person's name because they clearly weren't as important as Ian Fleming was. Ian Fleming produces all of these crazy different like memos and things like that. When I say he's an ideas guy for the British army in World War II, I mean it. He, yeah. kind of under his boss's name, penned a memo 
that listed 30 ideas as to how to like draw out, trap, and destroy German U-boats. This man, when he was on like his little runs and stuff, he'd be like, yeah, what if we used a big net? It was like, it was like kind of at times Scooby-Doo ideas for winning the war. Have you, there's an episode of The Office where uh, fucking Dwight and Jim team up, like the one time they ever team up for anything. And, I think, oh, Dwight is, like, trying to, like, subtly poison someone, but it's not subtle. He's, like, giving this guy hot chocolate, and the guy's like, no, I'm good. And he's like, no, but take the hot chocolate. And Yeah, this like a face. It's, oh, it's not poison. It's, a, like, an insane amount of laxative, I think is what it is. And so Jim's like, we should work together on this. And he comes up with an idea, and he's like, we should, like, jam his desk drawer so that they op- only open an inch because it'll drive him nuts because you can see everything, but you can't That's such grab a everything. Yeah, and... Dwight's like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Write down your first 100 ideas, throw them out, write another 100, and then we'll talk. <laughs> and so they like they get together, and he Jim hands him the list, and he's like, this is 500. And he's like, yeah, I got really on a roll. And they're all really fucking stupid sure. things. And at some point, Dwight goes to open his desk door. doesn't open. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, this is right when we were getting started, too. <laughs> He's like trying to open it, and obviously Jim has like jammed it just to prove a point. But huge Ian Fleming. Yeah, that's energy. how this feels. It's like we could just <laughs> so trap them. There was an operation in World War II called Operation Mincemeat. There's a Netflix movie about it now. It's pretty good. What mincemeat? Who names these operations? The British Army. Well, it's Stupid. going to get a little sad here oh, for a okay. second. I'm sorry. sorry, I just promised no sad parts. This isn't the main story. <clears throat> Operation Mincemeat is when you uh, intentionally drop a dead body off the coast of Spain um, that looks like a downed airman that is stuffed full of what looks like top secret documents but are actually fake documents. This is a real thing that happened because Spain was neutral but had a fascist dictator in Franco so at the time. So they'll go get the dead body and, and then they will look at kind them. of pass the secrets on to the Nazis but then also pretend like they're not passing the secrets on to the Nazis mm. and like kind of trying to play both sides. We're going to come back to Spain a little bit especially with Ian Fleming. Really kind of interesting there. I love that. Anyways, Operation Mince Meat's a real thing and convinced the Nazi officials high up to keep thousands of troops in Norway in 1944 because they thought that's where the next Allied attack was going to be, keeping them away from the beaches of Norway. So, like, everyone was really doing ghost army shit. Oh, 100%. At this point, everyone's like, how can we 100%. fuck people up? And while Ian Fleming was not the main organizer or, like, the main creditor of Operation Mincemeat, he did pitch out kind that of is... something vaguely similar also at the start of the war. It's horrifying to me <laughs> that they named it Mincemeat. Yeah, 100% it does, Like, right? it's, a, it's a good idea. Yeah. But it, when you call it Operation Mincemeat... That's horrifying. They it's horrible. Used the, they used the corpse of an unhoused Londoner. Oh. Okay. Yeah, isn't that even worse? That's really sad. <laughs> That's really sad. They could have picked literally any. Uh, Operation Fallen Angel feels so. Oh, that apt. would be so. Let me name your World War II missions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but here's something, you know, like, you know, kind of throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Ian Fleming did put together a couple of different things that did stick. For instance, in partnership with the guy he worked for, he traveled to America, attended a bunch of meetings, helped set up some organizations that would eventually become the CIA. 
And then what? gets back to England and then assembles this specific division in the army called the 30 Assault Unit. And it's just 30 guys with special forces operations who, before the actual attack begin, go in first and specifically attack the headquarters to get all their maps and stuff. And he did that as well. And then after that mundane life, he became a writer. So imagine if you're you're one of those people in that group of thirty, and you're and you're robbing a place for maps, and then you turn around and there's a bear. <laughs> um, thirty assault unit would prove so popular that they built a whole bunch of them. Thirty assault units, and then on D Day, they were used not to go attack like a headquarters and get their documents, but just as kind of like commando troops. Right. And Ian Fleming was so mad that they risked a unit that was so specialized for a non-specialized mission oh. that he was put back in charge of 30 assault unit. Yes. <laughs> he probably was like emailing so often they were like, fine, <laughs> fine, you do it. Quite honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you want You want to control it so bad? Do it. Idea. Oh, another idea. This was a really fun idea. Again, ideas man Ian Fleming, yeah. who's connected to Sir William Stevenson, who is a real person who hired a bunch of people to essentially prostitute themselves out for secrets. Sweet. Uh, they were trying to grab a German Enigma code breaker. Okay. Which is like kind of famously what Alan mm -hmm. Turing and stuff yes. was doing. But instead of like solving it with math, Ian Fleming was like, what if we like take it from a different angle, okay? So we capture a German bomber plane. And then we get a bunch of Brits who speak German. Then, stay with me here, crash it into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and then as it sinks. Was Captain America on that plane? <laughs> And then as the boat sinks, the German crew comes out to save it. And then surprise, We're the, alive! the Brits who speak Germans also have guns. And then they capture the crew while their, while their plane is still sinking. They capture the crew and then, and then they come back to Britain. And then we have the Enigma code machine. Who? How? Well, as, as someone pointed out pretty early on in that pitch, all of the German bombers we have have huge holes in them because we shot them down. How long do you think it'll float for? <laughs> <laughs> this feels very Weekend at Bernie's, like his whole thing. And so he has like a bunch of bad ideas, a couple of decent ones, like the CIA and 30 assault unit. Oh, which by the way, after the war just gets turned into T-Force, or I think Task Force. It's like a real thing. Anyways, that's part of his legacy. Oh, okay. But... As we know, World War II isn't really like what Ian Fleming is known no, for. No, yeah. So, after the war ends and Ian Fleming is demobilized in May 1945, he became the foreign manager for the Kemsley Newspaper Group, which at the time included the Sunday Times, the biggest newspaper in the UK. In this role, he oversaw the paper's worldwide network of correspondence. His contract allowed him to take three months holiday every winter. Is this week? <laughs> I know, right? That's a whole quarter of the year, and he's just allowed to take off during the winter. And so... That's so nice. What does every man who fought for the British Empire do? He takes it to one of their colonies. Every, yeah. every, every winter, he vacationed 
in Jamaica for three months. Oh, 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 honey. <laughs> uh, Fleming worked for the paper full time until December 1959, but continued to write articles and attend the Tuesday weekly meetings until at least 1961. Uh, he attended, he went to Jamaica so often that he built like a small kind of like cottage and estate for himself. You have to at that point. Do you want to guess what Ian Fleming, the author of James Bond, named his estate? Am I eight? No. Goldeneye, the name of one of his books. And do you know where he got that name from? Oh, it was the name of one of the missions he did in World War II to set up a spy network in Spain. It was the oh. actual name of an actual government operation he was assigned. Thought the name was cool and then named it after his Jamaican estate. And do you remember how Spain and Goldeneye was related to Operation Mincemeat? Ah. <laughs> it all comes it together, all folks. It all comes together. Loosely. Much like mincemeat. <laughs> but together. Oh. <laughs> if we need to cut that, we can. No. It's staying now. Was it the whisper that was yeah. tough for you? Okay. Uh, what really, not to bring it back to the office like I do every time, but Michael Scott's, uh, what is it? Code Midnight? No. Uh, Operation Midnight? Threat level midnight. Oh, his movie. His movie. Yes. <laughs> the, the the villain is Golden Face, <laughs> which is based off of Golden Eye, which was the name of both a Jamaican resort and a spy network in Spain, which was then used to help mm -hmm. carry a body, a dead body, from the streets of London <laughs> to the Nazis to convince them that they were going to attack Norway and not Normandy, ultimately winning the war. And then Golden Face <laughs> blew up a hockey rink. <laughs> I honestly think Ian Fleming would be proud. <laughs> I really do. That's the fun thing about the way we do these shows is you become so like weirdly deeply familiar with, with these the dead historical people yeah. that like after a while you're like, honestly, I do kind of feel like I've captured their spirit, their honestly, essence. Same. Yeah. I think they'd be fine with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So after he retires or kind of after the war, Ian Fleming has a mistress. Her name is Anne uh, Charter, Charteris, C-H-A-R-T-E-R-I-S. Charteris. Yeah. And Anne, Anne, uh, well, her first husband dies in the war. Really sad. And she mm -hmm. then expected Ian Fleming, you know, her mistress, yeah. to marry her. Her mistress. Ian decided he wanted to stay a bachelor. Oh. And so on June 8th, 1945, Anne remarries the second Vice Count Rothermer. Nevertheless, she definitely kept her relationship with Ian Fleming going for years, traveling to Jamaica all the time, pretending to visit his neighbor, Noel Coward, who is a famous British playwright at the time. Oh, I love Hugely that. famous. Oh, sorry, not playwright, like singer and actor. Love that It'd even more. It'd be like, I'm, hold on, let me get the second name in this analogy. I'm going to LA to visit my good friend Brad Pitt. And then you're actually hooking up with McLovin, <laughs> who is Brad Pitt's neighbor. Is like the best way I could. I don't know if McLovin I is. I love that though. I don't know if that's a reference outside of anyone. Mr. Darcy, but now. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's not who McLovin is, but like, you know, like, the, I'm going to go hang out with this super hot person. Oh, actually, never mind. Just the guy who takes all of his good writing ideas <laughs> from the life he has lived so far. Oh, no. Anyways, uh, her and 
and Fleming do have a child out of wedlock. Bastard! It, well, it's, it's born still. It's a stillborn, oh, oh. which is really sad. But um, it does so let Viscount Rothermore know that uh, Anne's definitely cheating on him. And so they get divorced in 1951. And I guess after six years of being a bachelor, Fleming's like, I oh, sowed right. these oats. Fine. And then they get married uh, in 1952, like 11 months after Anne gets divorced. Oh, good. And they have a little baby together, oh, cool. their son Casper. That's um, such a cute name. Bring it back. Bring it back. Oh. Let's go ahead now to Can nickname it Cass? Uh and then they like for the most part kind of live out a lot of their life in Jamaica. They'll go back to London every now and yeah. then. But they love to be in Jamaica and they love to host people in Jamaica. Here is who Anne and Ian are like kind of connected to later on in their life. Both Ian Fleming and Anne had affairs during their marriage. That, that sounds about right. She, with Hugh Gatskill, the leader of the Labour Party, like the head of that political party. Jesus. And the leader of the opposition. Oh. It's the same person, I think, but uh, like Labour Party is also the opposition okay, party. Okay, okay. Um, so she has... She has an affair with essentially, like, I don't know, the, like, Mitt Romney, if he's the leader of the Republicans these days, the leader of the opposition, which uh, is fine because <laughs> Ian Fleming had a long-term affair in Jamaica with one of his neighbors, Blanche Blackwell, who is the mother of Chris Blackwell, who founds Island Records, the UK's largest record company for a while. Oh, shit! But it's okay. They were both equally friends with British Prime Minister Anthony Eden. Jesus! (laughs) What the hell? And so uh, Ian Fleming... Ideas man in World War II, moves to Jamaica, builds an estate, names it after his spy network, and then later names his book after his estate, after his spy network. <laughs> um, lives a bachelor for six years, has a child out of wedlock, marries as a child within wedlock, continues to have all sorts Fairs. of relations, but it's fine. So does Anne. Real it's- free-loving people. I think it's that Jamaican, like climate, attitude, yeah, sure. life's a vacation at the beach kind of mindset. Sure, um, sure, 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 sure. This sure. is not the end. I have one more person I want to cover okay. after this. But here is the last little part about Ian Fleming. Because he would then, basically every winter, he'd go to his place in Jamaica, and it was there that he would write the next year's James Bond books. And so, like, ten years, ten books, couple plays and stuff like that, too, or short there stories. Are, are there James Bond plays? I think so. Like, Casino <gasps> Royale, GoldenEye. It might have been, like, works of, like, fiction, not full plays. But, yeah, he produces a lot of work. I do believe we've had enough time that you've seen the good stuff, like, for the record. I mean, that's fine, but I would, I, I want to see a James Bond play now. <laughs> um. Well, here's the thing. If you do, you're going to probably recognize some of the names. Okay. Why? Oh, because basically all of the names that were used in James Bond came from people that he knew. Um, oh, Jesus. Scaramanga, the principal villain in The Man with the Golden Gun, was named after after a person he went to school with who he hated. <laughs> Gold- what is him with him and like golden things? I don't know. Oh, because the very next thing, Goldfinger from his first what? novel <laughs> was named after the British architect Erna Goldfinger, whose work Fleming really did like. So that one was a compliment. Sir Hugo Drax, the antagonist in Moonraker, was named after Fleming's acquaintance, Admiral Sorer Renegold Almire Rainfully Plunkett Emmer Errery. Drax. 
Not like golden leg or something like that. Like Jesus. (laughs) And then in the movie, Drax's assistant, Curbs, bears the same name as Hitler's last chief of staff. Holy shit. (laughs) They're the villains, though, in Fleming's books. Um, And then one of the, and this is a correct quote, one of the homosexual villains from Diamonds Are Forever, Boofy Kid, was named after one of Fleming's closest friends. Oh, no. Um, and a relative of his wife, Anne. <laughs> Arthur Gore, 8th Earl of Aaron, known as Boofy to his friends. Boofy? And so you have this crazy British spy network that is connected to all these people. The spy network that will later on be immortalized Kind of. Okay. In Ian Fleming's work. Right. Because Ian Fleming's working in the UK. Sir William Stevenson is working in the US. They're building these kind of like loose spy networks mm. trying to change public opinion, trying to influence right. things like that. They're all part of the security uh, operations executive, right. the like big name yeah. for it all. And then in America, Sir William Stevenson's organization is called the British Security Coordination and is ran out of the British passport control office. Which is so funny to me that they, they're like making enough fake British passports for people that they need an office. I think it was like, this is a legitimate emprise. And as long as it comes from this office, it's not weird if you have a passport issued by this office. Okay. But like, there wasn't any British people in America trying to like get, get back passport. to Britain. Yeah. Right. And also there's like embassies and stuff still. <laughs> totally fake. And the US government was aware of it, by the way. And J. Edgar Hoover was pissed. <laughs> But FDR was As like, calm be. down, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover was a speculated homosexual, so it's fine for me to say that. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, J. Edgar Hoover was perhaps the only like kind of really sane person in this yeah. entire equation, where he was like, what do you mean we've given the British a free pass to spy in America, and also all their spies keep having sex with Americans? <laughs> and that brings me to my third and oh, final God. person of the night. Rolled doll. So in 1942... Rolled like I rolled on the ground? Maybe it's roll. R-O-A-L-D. Roll doll. Okay. In 1942, America was a very recent ally in World War II. Very recent. And really only enters because America gets attacked in Pearl Harbor. That means that there's still many people in the country who would refer to themselves as isolationist who believed that America should isolate itself from the rest of the world and that it didn't need to worry about affairs in Asia or Girl, you got pissed when Japan went closed border. Calm the fuck down. Sure, but this is like 1942. Like, most Americans still at this time will live their entire life within a 20-mile radius of where they are born. And also, like, America's huge. Most Americans born at the time will hardly ever see more than two or three states, let alone the whole country. So the idea of then having to go to these other places, it just didn't really make sense to a lot of Americans. And also, America kind of helped in World War One. I. I mean, it certainly did. It helped push the balance in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like a deciding factor like it was in World War II. Yeah. So America doesn't even have this perception of itself as that at the time. And then also, America has just kind of exited the Great Depression or is in the process of exiting. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of Americans who are like, let's spend this money at home. Europe's so far away. We have two oceans on either side of us. Like, we have enough stuff to worry about. We helped them out the last time. It didn't seem to do much good. Why would we go back? And also, you're like, if you look at the places that are getting punched, it's like the British and the French Empire and communist Russia. Mm. And it's like, none of these places are necessarily... Communist Russia, good riddance, you know, even at the time. And then the British and the French Empire 
empires where America's kind of always proudly been colonial and everything but name. And so we wanted to see that collapse. So isolationist was an understandable, but like deeply ill-informed foreign yeah. policy decision. So the dogs are mad about that, by the way. Um, Sir William Stevenson has a couple of famous British people, or soon to be famous British people, flown over to America. And that includes Roald Dahl, who had worked in oil companies for the British in what is now Tanzania. Okay. When war breaks out, he joins the Air Force. He is wounded in combat and comes back. And even though he's still physically able, the like trauma of the plane crashes means that he like has blackouts sometimes and things mm. like that. Fortunately, he's six foot three, curly brown hair, and gorgeous. Ooh. And so they send him to America, where he is immediately introduced to an uh, oil tycoon by the last name of Marsh, who by all means just finds him like really interesting i believe me listener i looked for the gay connection <laughs> i looked for the wink wink connection no not at all i think marsh was a ladies man roald Dahl was definitely a ladies, ladies man, man and was being bankrolled by sir william stevenson and the british right. government to basically go like party up and like help america warm itself up to being a british ally okay and I roald Dahl might have been exactly the man for the job. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it's nineteen forty-two. America's not thrilled about going into World War II. There's plenty of isolationists. Some people even blame President Franklin Delano Roosevelt for being like so eager to join the war that he doesn't do enough to prevent war, uh, Pearl Harbor from happening. Like there's okay. there is still a strong anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. So Dahl is sent to the British Embassy in Washington D.C., where like basically America's connected, wealthy are yeah. gathering because the war is about to get started, and it's just kind of brought around to all these parties. And at first, he's just like, "Hey, go be charming at all of these parties, and then report back what like drunk American elites are saying about the war effort, things like that." Listen, I think. I think I just found Grant's dream job um, is to get yes <laughs> to get sent to fancy parties <laughs> and relay gossip. <laughs> like, get the hell out. The worst part about this is that Roald Dahl has sex with like so many women. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have enough closeted gays now. We can make it work for you. I know, but here's the thing: Have you ever met a closeted gay who can keep any other secret? No, their mind's worried on one, <laughs> so you don't need to sleep with them. You're gonna be able to get okay. the secret other ways, you know? You could get a lot of secrets out of the women, though. I feel like they would trust you implicitly. D oh, yeah. <laughs> All of my strongest emotional relationships are with women. Uh, Dahl could be charming, which won him invitations to dinners and parties. And that helped him along in society was his friend Charles Marsh, a newspaper owner and oil magnate who would also eventually tutor future president Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh. Um, eventually, Dahl would become so involved in, in American society that he was like... was kind of almost forced into being a spy because he had been told so much stuff and was still kind of part of the He's British like, well, Army. He's like, this a secret. Right, so the British security coordination agents were trying to keep an eye on U.S. involvement in the war, and they were like, well, Dahl's going to be perfect for it. Here's who Dahl, by the end of the war, was connected with. Dahl was regularly invited to Hyde Park, the personal residence of President Roosevelt and First Lady Cute. Eleanor Roosevelt, where he took notes to pass along <laughs> to the British. Among Dahl's other notable friends and admirers were, at the time, Vice President Henry Wallace, who they played tennis together regularly, and then future Vice President, at the time still Senator, Harry Truman, who liked to play 
play doll in poker at his poker oh nights. Oh my god! I think this man was blitzed for three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't invited to uh, Bohemian Grove, quite honestly. Um, uh, yeah, actually, fair. Probably because he was so busy in yeah. Washington, D.C. <laughs> One day, he was invited to a dinner and intentionally sat down next to Congresswoman Cl- Claire Booth Luce, L-U-C-E, mm-hmm. a congresswoman from Connecticut who um, was anti-colonial and did not really support British efforts. Fair. Dahl was just supposed to kind of, like... Sweeten her up and win her over. After they'd had sex for f- three continuous days, Dahl asked. Oh my God! Dahl asked t- to be taken off the assignment. He was so physically trained from the experience. Again, Congressman sorry, Congressman Luce. I know. Well, also Congressman Luce. Uh, Congresswoman. <laughs> Congresswoman Luce yeah. loved um, Dahl. And also was married at the time <gasps> to the man who owned the New York Times. Holy shit! <laughs> and so when he was like, please, I need a break. They were like, it's the New York Times! It doesn't get bigger than this. Because here's the thing. Like, You've the, reached the big time! Exactly, exactly. Because Sir William Stevenson, his like kind of on-paper job was to push a pro-British anti-Nazi message. So they pushed out a lot of press releases to like newspapers and radio stations that would tell wars that made you feel sympathetic for the British or angry towards the Germans. Right. And then those stories, if you could get them in the big papers, would get pushed to like smaller papers and things like that. So the New York Times was a huge get. But the yeah. British security, oh, sorry, what the British, you know, operations security executive, right, what all these spy agencies kind of understood, had a hard time formally endorsing, but were not oblivious to it, but weren't going to, was that, like, they were using a lot of seduction to get yeah, all of this stuff going? Yeah, a lot of sense. And that was, and so <laughs> Dahl was like, please, I can't anymore. They were like, think of England and get back in there. <laughs> At one point, because Dahl was like kind of so drunk and just kind of everywhere, the uh, British government called him back because they didn't think he was a good spokesman. And Sir William Stevenson organization was so upset about that. They got Dahl brought back to America and then also given a promotion in the army to like acting wing lieutenant or whatever. <laughs> basically to like kind of make him untouchable. And by the end of the war, <laughs> uh, Roald Dahl was so important that when the American author Ernest Hemingway wanted to fit, visit London in 44, Roald Dahl was his minder, where he was just like, yeah, I'm going to show you around the town, we're going to have a great time, and then after smoothing over another American playwright, and famous homosexual, Ernest Hemingway, um, came back to America and kept his job up. Also, I want to know the hijinks they got up to. Oh, I want to know every minute of this man's life for four years. I want to see his daily journal. Yeah, another pres- diary. Another conversation with Frankie. You know, Roosevelt. <laughs> All he talks about is the war, period. What about my life? <laughs> I have things going on, too. Granted, I can't talk to him. <laughs> and so Roald Dahl was uh, a schmoozer, a spy, uh, a ladies' man, a important person. After the war, he was would live a very quiet life. I'm joking. Do you know what yeah, Roald no. Dahl did with his life? He, he wrote James and the Giant Peach and the Fantastic Mr. Fox and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda and the Big Friendly Giant and so much more. 
Roald Dahl? Yeah. Famous wounded fighter pilot person who, as uh, Charles Marsh's daughter once said, I think Roald Dahl slept with anyone worth more than half a million dollars on either coast of the United States. Uh, would then go on to, and would marry, uh, what was her, uh, Patricia Neal, famous music movie star. They'd have two, three kids. Well, he would then have an affair for years and then leave her and then marry another woman. Um, and also kind of a smidge anti-Semite. Okay. Um... <laughs> Sorry, hate the anti-Semite. Not laughing at the anti-Semite, but just like all the details yeah, was, I just threw at your face all at once. Yeah. Hate that he was an anti-Semite. Um, can you read the names of all the all things the books that he again? wrote? Yes. Because you just hit so, so many of <laughs> I them. I remember when you were like, is this about a book grant? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then later you were like, oh, is it about James Bond? I was like, yes. <laughs> and, you're, and you were like, I figured it out. And I was like, yeah, Maya. Yeah, you, yeah you, did. you did. Good job, champ. Okay, uh, so you it. ready to go? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. James and the Giant Peach. Okay. The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Holy shit. Also, a different book, Charlie and the Floating Glass Elevator, which gets lumped into the movie. Oh, um, oh that makes sense. Matilda. That, that one surprises me. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Big Friendly Giant. Okay. And then so many more. He is considered one of the 50 most important British authors since 1945. That's fucking insane. Correct. That he was also like this insane Fighter prostitute pilot spy? and prostitute spy. Yeah. <laughs> he had sex for three whole days and was like, I gotta I, go. I can't. Listen, at one point he was like, she keeps chasing me around the room. <laughs> Married Congresswoman Claire Booth Luce. <laughs> Who was strong? Who was a strong anti-colonialist and married to the owner of the New York Times? <laughs> Chasing around a Brit. Yes. <laughs> so, um, oh my all God. of this is really interesting, right? Like yeah. fascinating, compelling. It's all being turned into a movie. So this is actually my Cocaine Bear episode, oh God, but again. done better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the name of the movie, starring Henry Cavill, um, is titled. That's it. That's all you have to say. Okay. I'll go. <laughs> Especially if he plays Roald Dahl. (laughs) Uh, Titled The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Which is the nickname they gave the special operations executive, the like peak of the spy pyramid that did everything. Oh my god. Couple other things. When does it come out? I need to 2024. No, interesting. Okay. Yeah, like very soon. Because it's actually, we're almost done with 2023, which is wild. I love Henry Cavill. Yes. Uh, There's a lot to cover. I really do think they're going to cover at least Roald Dahl, who again has a complicated legacy. We are laughing at like kind of the way he was used in World War II and then that later fighter pilot, decorated war hero, and then prostitute spy would then become like the world's most famous children's author. Like how, how, like did you just have like a list of all the things that are contradictory, and then you just like were like, I need to do mm-hmm. actually all of those things in my lifetime. <laughs> it's like, like what? okay, so I have two things. I want to first finish some of the other things that the special operations executive did. Uh, they ran a bunch of kind of clandestine things, like I said, kind of scattered throughout a bunch of different organizations yeah. and efforts kind of pushing together. For instance, one thing they did was hired Cecil Clark, who was just a maverick engineer who spent the 1930s inventing, quote, 
futuristic caravans, but when the war started, made a dirty bomb that killed one of Hitler's favorite generals. <laughs> What's a dirty bomb? Um, I think it includes chemical exposure, like a bit of chemical okay. warfare. Anyways, Reinhard Heydrich was an absolute fucking dick, so uh, yeah. no loss I mean, to the world I'm not there. mad about the death, I'm just right. like that... They also hired um, William Fairbairn, who was a porty pensioner, which just means an, a retired retired person, right? A, a, a porty pensioner who had some unusual passions. For instance, he was the world's leading expert on killing without making any noise. And he trained Silent. gorillas uh, to parachute behind enemy lines and just quietly kill people. <laughs> What? I was thinking you were going in a completely different... No, they're like, shh, 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 shh. That was this retired old man's weird expertise. I was thinking you were going in like the direction of silencers or mm. something, and instead you said no. gorillas? Like, oh, oh, oh. Gorilla, right? You meant gor like gorilla like you surprising them? Yes, but when there's a lot of like surprise, you, they're like the gorilla soldiers. Okay, I heard just oh, you thought he trained monkeys? You thought they sent monkeys into Berlin to just like <laughs> kill so yes! <laughs> For all the insane and ridiculous things I have said tonight, that is amazing. The villain is a gorilla <laughs> that they employ. <laughs> and we even started this episode talking about Cosfinita. When it's never far from our hearts or our minds. Sponsors. Or our actual location. <laughs> or our stomachs, honestly. I'm <laughs> peckish right now. Um, I'm just imagining a gorilla in a parachute holding on <laughs> with a knife. <laughs> well, I'd imagine the knife would be in like one of his feet hands. Oh, or his yeah, mouth. yeah, yeah, yeah. Both He's hands holding on the, the canopy. Parachute. Right, yeah, exactly. he gets out of the parachute. Exactly. Exactly. Foot to hand, get the knife, just, and, and just like, and no, maybe he has a few like throwing stars, knocks I, out a few, kills a lot. I too like to think the animal kingdom was against Nazism. <laughs> it feels like the right thing. Yeah, you know, orcas are dicks, but like... <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. They have animal brains, so it makes it okay There's somehow. this really popular uh, Halloween costume this year, and it's that you just basically put on, like, a black shirt with a little orca fin, and you get a little pin that says, eat the rich, or something That's like really that. That's really funny. I know, right? We should have someone dress up as a boat. Danny. Dress Danny <laughs> up as a boat. Push him over. I think Danny would dress up like a dinghy. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. He we would. do love you. That would be um, so funny. <laughs> so now we're into, like... Final thoughts and reacts. I think what America is really missing is really interesting people who do just like several lifetimes worth of work, right? Because like Ian Fleming and Roald Dahl in their own lifetimes mm -hmm. were important cultural figures. Yeah. And before that also lived like two or three other lives. Complicated men who seem to view marriage more as a suggestion as opposed to a pact. Yeah. But you also don't really know what happens within someone's marriage. That's Sounds fine. like Ian Fleming's uh, wife, Anne, was uh, totally fine with their arrangement. So who knows? I mean, fair enough. Yeah, but I it's like, thought you were going to say um, American culture is missing. <laughs> Gorilla soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> as in... So Soldiers that are gorillas. Someone tell the History Channel. I absolutely want to see that series of Ice Road Truckers. But it's American Gorilla Warriors. And it's like eight different gorillas hosted by Jane Goodall. <laughs> it's Planet of the Apes, but it's not <laughs> accurate. 
Everyone's worried about AI. No one's worried about how much gorillas. monkeys have been chained to kill silently. I mean, just like, like in general, when thinking about these like cultural figures, imagine yeah. if like in four or five years, um, Kim Kardashian is like F. Scott Fitzgerald, right? Like, oh, imagine no. like if that's just like the next, yeah. or like, I mean, I kind of love to say it. Britney Spears is about to come out with a book. I do think Kim Kardashian does or is about to have a law degree. Oh, yeah. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me, actually. Who would be, in your mind, the, like, craziest current celebrity who goes on to be, like, a well-received intellectual or author? Um, well-received is... (laughs) pretty key there <laughs> why who were you gonna say uh oh i can't remember her name she used to host like the most conservative absolutely batshit nuts ann coulter no laura ingram no laura, laura ingram's close but she it, like she wasn't even on fox news is what it was she had like Judge a youtube Piero. channel oh oh the gun girl who pooped yeah. her pants at that party you've seen no, that picture that right? is that is another one she looks like oh. that Oh, it's gonna drive me bananas. Oh, what is it? Um, she got her show like canceled. I think she like unironically did that. Do you know what grinds my gears? Kind of thing. I think yes, yes, yeah. She did that, and then you're gonna say her name, and it's gonna like really register. It's Tommy like, Lauren. Tommy Lauren. Tommy Lauren. My debate kids when she was popular, like six, seven years ago, called her Tommy Lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Tommy Lauren, if she became, like, a well-respected, like, politician. Do you know where I actually could kind of see this actually happening to, though? Mm-hmm. Like, following this route? Gus Kenworthy. Who's Gus Kenworthy? Out gay Olympic skier. Okay. Who then is, I think, kind of right now in his reality star era. But I could see him then having, like, I don't know, like a really movie. Oh, do you know who else is kind of doing this? Harry Styles. Yeah. Harry Styles is also kind of on this He's kind track. of doing everything. I can see also, like, some of the other ones are, like, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Right? And then, um, who's the other? Uh, Christie. Chris Christie. Chris mm. Christie. The New Jersey governor? Yeah, he, I feel like he's just fucking everywhere. I can, I, like, I Crazy can, that you're on Chris Christie talk. I'm on CNN. <laughs> okay. He's one of the, he's one of the uh-huh. only Republican candidates right now that's like, Donald Trump, get your ass out here. Sure. But I could see him just going off and doing some other crazy shit, like becoming a singer-songwriter or oh, something. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, right. Uh, also, uh, Whoopi Goldberg is the first <laughs> EGOT winner. What? It's, uh... An Emmy, an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and a Tony. EGOT. Damn. Did I just teach you a little bit of, like, gay mm-hmm. theater history? Yeah. EGOT, yeah. I'm really bad about knowing which, uh, like, award ceremonies are for, like, which thing. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the Oscars, and I'm like, oh, like, for the, the, the arts? Maybe the songs? For the sports? <laughs> what about for the cooking? What is that? When is that which, one coming which out? Which one is that? Which one's for the TV? That is the great, the great British Bake Shop, Bake Off. Don't know why that was so hard for me that to say. That was really hard for you <laughs> to say. What's conniving mean? Um... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I had a moment, okay? I, I literally worked like a 13-hour day yesterday, 12 of which were in a plant. Is there a card I could get you that lets you know I'm holding space for you? And I also think you should seek treatment for your heroin addiction. I'm making a reference <laughs> yes. to episode 23 for those of you who do not get Yes, that I reference. actually have <laughs> a really great recommendation. I think I have the extra card Probably store right that there. I got. For I actually Casey. kind of appreciate this moment to set the record straight. If you or someone you love is working through heroin addiction, 
so proud of you. That's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Ver- like honestly, that's God, crazy good job. that you're doing. Kind that. of crazy to have that handed to you. We've never <laughs> once whiffed a single thing of heroin when you've never when you've never been in the same room, as far as I'm aware, with heroin. Yes, I gave that to him as a joke because I knew he'd never done heroin, and it therefore Bold, but okay. was funny to me <laughs> because he also makes jokes about coming from an alcoholic. I, I mean, just genetically, genetically, alcoholic yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was not a joke at all about <laughs> heroin addiction because that shit. I, I have an addictive personality. Could not imagine that. Mm. Um, but also putting the inserts in the car. <laughs> It, it was. It did balance the compliment well. I think most people followed us. I just when I was listening to it, I was like, "Oh, I wish I had given one line to be like, hey, and also this is fine." But anyways, yeah, yeah. Um, this is what happens when we have a silly episode. It is much like when we get interviewed on other podcasts. <laughs> there are no like tracks for us to be on. We're a floating train. I've been so quiet over the last three days because I've, <laughs> A, okay, here's, here's something that I keep thinking about. For those of you who have ever worked in a plant or a place where you, like, have to wear ear protection, mm-hmm. it boggles my mind that people can still hear other people talking when they have their ear protection in because it drives me bananas <laughs> when people start talking to me and I have to take out my, like, earplugs and be like what are you saying and then i have to like ask them multiple times to like shout it at me because somehow these contractors have the worst hearing in the world because their eardrums have been so right irreversibly damaged by all of this Is noise like tinnitus yeah but also have the best hearing in the world <laughs> because their earbuds are like fully in and they can still hear me right and it drives me, and you have to like roll the little earbuds for so long before you can stick them in your ears, and it drives me crazy. What kind of earbuds do you have? They're just like the, uh, they're like foam ones. Mm. They're like uh, the ones that they give all the contractors. They're over, they're over here. Really quick. I have to get an earbud tour. <laughs> oh, with little cord in them too. Yeah. These are. Um, have you ever put them in? No. So I actually don't. Think I'll probably, I'll probably pass on your no, used earbuds. I don't actually think I've worn <laughs> these ones. Um, I think I opened them, and then we're like. Actually, I have a pair. But you're supposed to like roll them in your hand or in your like finger until they become like really small, kind of. You're so they expand to... in your ear. Yeah. So, so and you can then get you... them in as deep as possible. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. It's a very strange sensation feeling them expand in your like ear canal, but. And her whole world collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hey friends, uh, this has been a fantastic time. We either have 18 minutes or I think we have an hour and 15. I think it's going to be a slightly shorter episode, but it's been a silly one. I hope you've had fun. I'm sorry if you've had kids in the car that you have to keep fast forwarding through. But for those of you who have enjoyed this, um, we have a lot of fun over on our Patreon too. Mm -hmm. I've recently shared some stories uh, which... um, won't be shared here. No, I can't share here, but they're fun. We have a great Discord that Maya checks regularly, and I kind of check once, but then respond to everyone and then disappear again for three days. So if you would like to do that, we are <laughs> Well I Laughed Podcast on Patreon. Mm-hmm. You can also send us uh, listener stories, like the Casa Bonita story we got this morning. You can do that on Instagram at Well I Laughed or TikTok at Well I Laughed, and you can email us at Well I Laughed Pod at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook if you're not on any of the other social medias. Right. We just don't. <laughs> check that as much so and we post the video of this on youtube and we're getting up mm-hmm. to a thousand followers on that which is a lot of fun mm-hmm. yeah. and um 
We also will probably have a merch store running by the time this is up. Oh, so yeah. go check out our Instagram for some links if you would like to get uh, some merch, including probably the shirt that I'm wearing yeah. right now. The OG launch from the, the summer. The OG one. Plus, who knows what else we can manage to do together. <laughs> but until then, this has been a wonderful way to spend a we- yeah. Wednesday evening. Uh, for those of you wondering, when we recorded, uh, Ahoy just went live. So. Yes, today. Anyways, thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.